0: Welcome to the Christchurch London podcast. Our Sunday services have now moved online and you can tune in every week for worship, prayer and our weekly sermon by going to christchurchlondon.org forward slash church at home. We're now going to hear the talk from this week's Church at Home service. Hello again, Christchurch London family. It is so great to be speaking to you, even if it is sadly once again by a screen. I've been so looking forward to preaching at three hour in-person services today. But alas, like so many things this year, that was not to be. If you are new to Christchurch, new to our church at home service, then a massive, massive welcome to you. It is so great to have you tuning in today. We are currently in a Sunday teaching series, looking at the Kingdom of God. Jesus taught us to pray, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth, here in London, as in heaven. And throughout this series, we've been thinking about what that kingdom of heaven come to earth looks like. Among other things, we've seen that the kingdom of heaven is a kingdom of love, a kingdom of freedom, a kingdom of compassion, of purpose and of power. And this week we're going to look at how the kingdom of Jesus, the kingdom that Jesus said is the Father's good pleasure to give to us, is also a kingdom of comfort. Now I'm guessing that if I'd asked you to come up with a word that described the kingdom of heaven, you may not have thought of comfort. Love? Sure. Power? Hopefully, seeing as that was the last preach in the series. But comfort? That may not have sprung so easily to mind. In fact, you might have even thought that the whole idea of seeking a kingdom of comfort is actually opposed to seeking the kingdom of God. For those of you who, like me, grew up in the church and are old enough to remember Delirious, uh, you may remember that their last studio album was entitled Kingdom of Comfort. And the lyrics in that title track were, Save me, save me from the kingdom of comfort where I am king from my unhealthy lust of material things. Save me to this kingdom of heaven where you are king. Just before uh, that album, the band had been invited by a Christian charity to see their work amongst the poor in India. And that visit had had a profound effect on them, making them question, what am I really living for and pursuing? A kingdom of comfort for me and my family, where our needs and our desires are the only thing that we think about. Or the kingdom of heaven, where the needs of all are thought about pursued. And so yes, when defined in that way, I tend to agree that living for our own comfort, pursuing just a materially comfortable life, and often because of the way these things work, at the expense of the unseen poor, that can't easily be squared with seeking first the kingdom that Jesus came to bring. That does seem to be in opposition to it. But actually we see several times in the scriptures that when people speak about the coming kingdom of God and what it's gonna be like and what it's going to usher in, they do talk about it being a kingdom that brings us great comfort. But what the Bible means there is not that the promise is for a kingdom that will make us comfortable, but for a kingdom that will leave us comforted. One of the places that we most clearly see this promise of a kingdom that will bring comfort is in the writings of the prophet Isaiah, who comes back to this theme again and again. And it's Isaiah's written prophecies that help shape maybe more than any other the Jewish people's imagination of what the coming kingdom would look like and what it would bring. And so when Jesus went around announcing that the kingdom of God was near, that it was at hand, that it had finally come and that his followers were to seek it and pray for it until it came in full, all of the Jewish people hearing this would have thought of Isaiah's visions of the kingdom. And one of the most well-known of Isaiah's prophecies about the coming king and the kingdom that he would bring is found in Isaiah 61, a very well-known passage we looked at and talked about before in this series. And it says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness from the prisoners to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who grieve, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And so we see here Isaiah talking about the king, the spirit-filled king who would come and the result of him coming would be, Bringing this kingdom to earth where those who are currently mourning and grieving and despairing and waiting will be comforted. Just such a beautiful, beautiful promise, isn't it? And such a timely one for us. Doesn't it feel like we are living very much in a season where we so need to know the comfort of God? For hundreds of years, through all the pain and the suffering of being conquered and being exiled and just living in the harsh reality of the ancient world, The Jewish people lived with this promise of a king who would come to comfort them. They memorised these passages, they read them to one another, they taught them to their children. They held on so tightly to this promise that one day a king would come and their mourning would end. One day they would be comforted by God himself, like a mother comforting her child, Isaiah says in chapter 66. Not only wiping away their tears, but wiping away everything that had caused their tears in the first place. Fast forward a few hundred years from Isaiah, a few hundred pages through your Bible, and you come to a man called Simeon, right at the start of Luke's Gospel account of the life of Jesus. Luke describes him as a righteous and a devout man who was waiting for what Luke refers to as the consolation of Israel. The word consolation there is the same Greek word for comfort, so Luke is telling us that he's waiting for the promise of Isaiah's prophecies to come true. He's waiting for the Comforter to come. And the Holy Spirit had revealed to him amazingly that he wouldn't die before he saw him with his own two eyes. And one day, Simeon feels led by the Spirit to visit the temple in Jerusalem. And when he arrives, he looks over in the temple courts and who does he see? But Mary and Joseph with their baby son in their arms. They come to the temple to offer the required sacrifices for Jesus. And the spirit nudges Simeon and says, that's the one. And Simeon can't contain his excitement. He rushes over, takes Jesus in his arms. Wonder what Mary thought about that. And he praises God and he says, sovereign Lord, your promise has come true. And you may now dismiss your servant in peace because my eyes have seen your salvation. The comforter is finally here and I'm holding him. (laughs) The one who will turn mourning into dancing and despair into praise has come. But then it was to be about another 30 years before anyone else linked Jesus to Isaiah's prophecy. It was at the very start of his public ministry, just after his baptism, where he'd heard those beautiful words of his father spoken over him. You are my son in whom I love, my delight is in you. And after his 40-day fast in the desert, which Luke tells us has left Jesus now full of the power of the Spirit, that Jesus heads to his local synagogue in Nazareth. He's handed a scroll to read. It turns out to be the scroll of Isaiah. And he literally scrolls down to find this exact passage, Isaiah 61, and he reads it. And then he sits down and with the eyes of everyone on him, he says, Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. He didn't have to say anything else because everyone there knew what he meant. But if he had needed to expand on that, he might have said something like this. Hey friends, you know that king that you've been waiting for? The one Isaiah spoke about who will comfort you like a mother comforts her child, who will wipe away the tears of every face, who will speak tenderly to you that your struggles have come to an end, that you have been forgiven everything, who will restore to you all the things that have been lost excuse me lost and broken and will even swallow up death forever meaning that your comfort will be eternal because there will be nothing to ever make you mourn again well i'm him my kingdom is here now let's go i mean can you imagine what it been like to hear that for the first time the excitement of this promise coming true before your very eyes And then a little later on, in what is known as the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus again sits down to preach, this time a slightly longer sermon, um, and where he teaches his disciples what living in the way of his kingdom will look like. And he says these beautiful, hope filled words, recalling again the promises in Isaiah. He says, Blessed are they who mourn, for they will be comforted. In my kingdom, Jesus says. Those who mourn will not be dismissed. They will not be ignored or told to just get on with it and man up. No, they will be comforted. Now the word mourn in the Bible has a few different but related meanings. As we'd expect, it's used to describe those grieving a loss, a loss of a loved one, a loss of a livelihood, loss of a way of life, something that all of us can relate to in this moment, I'm sure. But it can also describe those who are struggling in the waiting Those who are grieving the fact that something longed for hasn't yet happened. Those who are living with the pain of things not being as they should be. Who are waiting, barely holding on for justice and redemption to finally come. Then mourning is also used to describe the grief and the sorrow that we feel over the mistakes that we have made. Regret and guilt over the things that we have done, the things that we should have done but didn't. The shame we feel over broken promises and broken relationships and just foolish choices. And Jesus' pronouncement of comfort for those who mourn encompasses all of those. In his kingdom, all those who mourn, whether because of loss or because of waiting or because of sorrow over sin, all those who mourn will be comforted. And they will be comforted by the very presence of Jesus himself as he draws close and as he speaks tenderly to tell us that we are loved and delighted in by the Father, just as he is, as he tells us that we are forgiven everything, as he lets us know that he sees us in our struggle, that he cares, that there is hope because he is at this very moment working all things together for good, so that one day everything that has ever caused someone to mourn will be wiped away along with our tears. There will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. For the old order of things will have passed away and his kingdom will have finally come in full. We see Jesus perform this role of comforter throughout the Gospels. As he comes alongside people and enters into their grief and their struggles and freely forgives people of their past and loves them in such a way that his love isn't just known but is felt. And it's by his presence, by his felt love, that Jesus brings a strength to people in their mourning. Which is actually what our word comfort literally means. Come meaning with or together, for meaning strength. So comfort is the presence of another with us that gives us strength to continue. In his beautiful book, Gentle and Lowly, Dane Orton reminds us that whilst we may think our failure and our fears and the mess of our lives can create a barrier between us and God, can turn him away from us, that actually the very opposite is true. The cumulative testimony of the four gospels, says Aughtman, is that when Jesus Christ sees the fallenness of the world all about him, his deepest impulse, his most natural instinct is to move towards that sin and suffering not away from it. The Gospels show that Jesus is most drawn to people when their need of him is greatest and that is as true now as when he walked the earth and whilst Jesus may no longer be physically present on earth he is now present with each of us by his spirit whereas Jesus was only able to be in one place at any time in his physical body the Holy Spirit is always with us always ready to whisper tenderly to us of God's love for us always present with us as we weep, always ready to speak words of forgiveness over us, always ready to remind us of the hope that is ours, always ready to give us his strength by his presence. But if you're anything like me, then you often find that so often instead of coming to him for comfort, instead of doing the things that we know will help us to connect with him, instead of finding the space and making time to bring our grief, bring our pain to him, to allow him to impart his strength to us, we settle for doing things, consuming things that just help to mask or numb our feelings, that just help to distract us for a while. We so often settle for false comforts, don't we? And the way that we can know that they are false comforts is because they're they're things, they're not people. So there's no presence, no relational connection. And because we go to them to just make us feel better for a while rather than to draw strength from them. And because of that, they just leave us either as we were before or sometimes even in a much worse place. As John Flavel, a 17th century English Puritan once wrote, we are perversely resistant to letting Christ love us. He goes on to say, we are enemies of our own peace. That we skip past the evidences of God's love for us and study evasions, Turning off the very comforts that could be ours in Christ, in his presence. Do you recognise yourself in that? I know I do. And in encouraging all of us to make good decisions about where we go to find comfort, I don't want to suggest that the only thing you need to do is just decide to spend more time alone with a Bible and a journal and maybe a playlist. Now don't get me wrong, all of those things would rank very high on my list of ways to connect with God, to put myself um, in his presence in an intentional way. But over the years I've personally found it probably most easy to experience the comfort of God when that comfort is communicated through the faces, through the arms, through the voices, through the embodied presence of other people. When Jackson and I experienced The darkest night of our life and our grief and loss felt too big to bear on our own we called up our best friends at three o'clock in the morning and they drove straight over to be with us and it was in their hugs and their tears and their prayers that we experienced the comfort of Jesus so so powerfully and the next day as we slipped in late to church and sat at the back and cried our way through the service it was there that we again experienced such a tender closeness of God as our church family worshipped and prayed all around us. James Cone, in his book about the theology of the African-American church that had been formed in the years of slavery and then the era of Jim Crow segregation. He highlights the central place that the Sunday gatherings had and still have in the lives of the black community as a means of experiencing the comfort of Jesus, as a means of receiving strength to keep on going, even the strength to keep fighting against injustice. As they together through worship, through prayer, through sermons, experienced the very presence of God amongst them and we're reminded each week that despite it all, despite the look of things, God was with them and for them and working to bring an end to their mourning. This is why the writer of the Hebrew says we shouldn't give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing Because it is in gathering together, in experiencing the comforting presence of Jesus together, where two or three gather in his name, there he is with us, is by embodying that presence to one another, that we are encouraged, that we are strengthened to keep on going in the midst of our struggle. I mean, isn't this a wild idea? That we get to not just experience the comfort of Jesus together as we gather, but we also get to embody the comfort of Jesus to one another. And I know embodying anything is a little more complicated at the moment when we're locked down and aren't able to get within two metres of one another. When we have to make do with one another's disembodied presence over Zoom and we've got our church services online. I think Partly this is what is making the season so hard. But that makes it even more vital that we do all that we can in whatever way we can to connect with one another in this season. So that we can still bring to one another the comfort of Jesus. And actually, not just to one another, but to our hurting, broken, grieving city. Some of you may know of Ben Lindsay or the charity he founded called Power The Fight. It's an incredible organisation which looks to equip local communities and organisations that work with young people to join the fight against serious youth violence in London. We gave part of our Christmas offering to them last year and Ben spoke at our Love London service a couple of years ago. Jax and I have known Ben and his wife Billy for a few years now. We first got to really know them over Saturday Pancakes with all of our kids there. This is before Ben had started Power of the Fight, before he'd written his amazing book We Need to Talk About Race, but the seeds of both of those things had already been planted in his heart and both came up in our conversation that day and continued to come up in our conversations to this day. Anyway, part of Ben's Power of the Fight story was that he had been working in the area of serious youth violence for years, as a youth worker and other things. And there was a season where, in a short space of time, he'd attended several funerals of teenagers, of children, really, who had lost their lives at the hands of other children on the streets. At those funeral services, he'd looked around the churches and he'd seen hundreds of other children, distraught, traumatised, mourning the loss of their friend. But in this sea of kids, only a handful of adults. And his heart was broken by the fact that there was no one there to comfort them. That there was no one there to come alongside them and by their presence communicate, you are not alone in this, that you are lost, that your suffering matters. No one there to offer these kids their strength to lean on. No one to give them hope for a different future and an end to their sorrow. And that's one of the key experiences that led him to starting power, the fight. This desire to see the local community step up and step in to provide comfort for those who mourn by being there when tragedy strikes, but also by working to reduce the chance that tragedy would strike again. And that is just one example of where people in our city need comfort. There are obviously loads, loads more at this time, but I think it's a great example of what those of us who have experienced the comfort of Jesus could be doing. Listen to what Paul says in one of his letters to the Corinthians. He says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. We, who have experienced the comfort of Jesus, get to pass on that comfort, get to embody that comfort to a hurting, broken, shame-filled city by introducing them to their comforter, that they too may experience that strength, his love, his forgiveness, and the hope that comes from knowing him. So that is my invitation, my encouragement to us today. Whatever your trouble is, whether you are mourning loss, struggling in the waiting or feeling sorrow over your past, All three, come and receive the comfort of Jesus through the presence of his Holy Spirit today. Come and experience his love, his tenderness, his forgiveness, his hope. Allow that to strengthen you today. And then, having been comforted, head out into the world to let others know that in the kingdom of Jesus, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Let me just... Pray for us, and then we can worship again. God of all comfort, Father of compassion, I just pray in this moment, for every person who is watching this in each one of our homes, I pray send your Holy Spirit to comfort us. For those of us who are mourning, who are grieving, loss, who are struggling in the weight, who are feeling sorrow over our past, draw close, Holy Spirit, and whisper the love of Jesus to us again. We repent, we turn away from going to false comforts, to looking to other things just to give us a quick boost, to help us forget. And instead, we say we want to choose to come to you over and over for your comfort. And choose to come to those who have your spirit in them. To have your comfort embodied in the very presence of others. And I pray in this time help us to know as a church how to comfort one another. And help us to know how to comfort this city that you love and that we love. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this talk from the Christchurch London podcast. To hear other talks or find out more about our Sunday services, head to christchurchlondon.org.